electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones. From powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY. A big idea that inspired the world to invest differently. And still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the fund's investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. Bring in show music, please. This is Squawk Pod. I'm CNBC producer Katie Kramer. Today on our podcast, U.S. troops are on alert in Europe as tensions rise between Russia and Ukraine. A check-in with global investor Kyle Bass. When you think about geopolitical force, Russia doesn't have the economics behind their geopolitical force. I think China is clearly the largest threat to the rules-based order in the West. Then meme mania at one and the Reddit rebellion, the anniversary of the GameStop short squeeze with Spencer Jacob of The Wall Street Journal. When short sellers really take it on the chin, it makes it a more dangerous environment for less informed retail investors to come in and buy a stock. And one of the biggest market comebacks in history. Do you see this as a capitulation day? Yesterday, the flush? I'm not sure. But maybe hold off on the celebration. Is it enough where everything has bottomed already? It's Tuesday, January 25th, 2022. Squawk Pod begins right now. Stand back you by in three, two, one, cue please. Good morning, everybody. Welcome to Squawk Box here on CNBC. I'm Becky Quick, along with Joe Kernan and Andrew Ross Sorkin. And uh, back for more, are you? If you survived yesterday. The U.S. equity markets mounted a dramatic comeback on Monday in a wild day that started with investors dumping technology stocks on fears of a more aggressive rate policy from the Federal Reserve. And then the biggest bounce back in years. The Dow Jones Industrial Average was down just over 1,100 points during the session before reversing course to close 99 points higher. That was the biggest intraday comeback since the wild trading of March 2020. The S&P briefly hit a correction during the session, falling more than 10% from its January 3rd record close, before closing slightly higher yesterday. And it was the first time since the aftermath of the financial crisis in 2008 that the Nasdaq Composite had been down more than 4% during the day and then closed up. So we don't get a closing low uh with the S&P in correction territory. We don't get that. So if if it were to go up from here, the streak that it hasn't had a 10% correction in in X amount of time, that would would, would hold. Although I certainly don't, I'm not ready to say it's not going to do that. And then I was thinking, you go out the risk curve and and the type of moves you saw and the type of rebounds you saw were proportional to what we're talking about. The Dow, okay, 3% will get your attention, no doubt about it. Wiped out 3%, closed up. NASDAQ was down 6%, I think, at one point in a single session. Well, it came all the way back, so that makes a 6 or 7% move. And then Bitcoin, it, it may have closed up 5%, but on the lows, it was down like 15% or something. Yeah. I don't know. Is that, but, but to go from 32,000 back to 37,000, that's like 15, that's a 15% move, is it not? It's not like a 5, that, uh, the 5% 32, move understates. Two, the, that's correct, yeah. because 3 would but be do you, 10%, yeah. Do you see this as a capitulation day? Because I'm not yesterday, sure. Yesterday, no. the flush? I'm not sure. On a day where you have the reversal in the middle of the day like that, I'm not sure. 3% on the Dow, and, not, and nothing being but past 10% except the NASDAQ, 
Maybe that's all you need to do because as we, people have pointed out, individual names are much worse than what you're talking about. Right. You know, I mean, some of them are 30, 40, 50, and there's a lot of damage from some of the big high flyers. Is it enough to, for where everything has bottomed already? It would, you would think not. But well, I will say Kramer was saying he would like to see um, a sell-off in the morning that then morning you kind of recover from, yeah, that yeah. then you recover from today, um, rather than coming in with things looking better and then turning weaker later in the session. Yeah. What did I see? I saw, I saw something about Bitcoin somewhere, and it's just, it was like, wow, after, after all this, it was like, it was something about how you get to do this, and if you want Bitcoin, you can do it. They're moving. The people that like Bitcoin are moving full force ahead, full steam ahead, even though it's down 50%. So I don't know how that works. You know, all the exchanges, all the advertising, you know, stadiums named after it. You watch Tom Brady, Matt Damon comes out and says, God, you know, the Braves are the because ones. Because you that- have to. The money's invested. Right? They have to do it. They're, they're, they're locked. Just, it they're locked into. But think if it was the worst case scenario with what what the the real bears still say. It'd just be weird that it's gotten to this point. It's I have no idea what's going to happen. Pretty good bounce yesterday, though, uh, from Bitcoin all the way back at one point to to 37. Let's talk about another risk. But you know what? I'm not sure that the markets are thinking this is a risk that they're considering. I think they're thinking about the Fed and about 100 other things. But we've got a developing story this morning. The U.S. now placing about 8,500 troops on standby for possible deployment to Central and Eastern Europe in an effort to shore up NATO defenses in anticipation of a possible Russian invasion of Ukraine. That move coming ahead of four-way talks tomorrow in Paris between Russia, Ukraine, France, and Germany. Now, President Biden held a call with his European counterparts yesterday discussing diplomatic and punitive efforts to combat Russia. CNBC has learned the U.S. is negotiating with energy companies over how to support European demand if Russian supplies get curbed even further. Sources also saying that uh, the U.S. is considering banning U.S. chip exports to Russia, possibly cutting off that country to cars, computers, phones, and more. And aides telling CNBC that senators from both parties are in active talks now to finalize an agreement on Russia sanctions that could pass with bipartisan support. So uh, something that I think would normally be something we talk about in the context of the markets, but maybe not. I don't, I don't know where, how, how you, when you think about the puzzle of what's happening at the moment, this factors in? Well, I've seen it even said that it could, it's back to the Fed, that a Russian invasion of Ukraine could cause the Fed to not, so it's like, okay, yeah, we got this invasion, but could, what could really happen is maybe it changes what the Fed does. So everything seems to relate back to that. Here's what I was talking about. I don't know if you guys uh, saw this. This is in the journal, and it says online banking was a weird idea at first, too. And that's the Bitcoin symbol right now. And they're, they're basically, and it's all about Bitcoin. We're helping banks and credit unions, like important Who paid money. For the ad? But Who yeah, is it? banks uh, uh, become, make Bitcoin more accessible than ever. And there's all these famous banks down here, um, you know, that we've all heard of many, many times. So that's just what's weird, a weird but juxtaposition. Who, who paid for, is that, is that that's paid a journal. I know, yeah, but who paid for the ad? No, who's the, the uh, NY Dig, NY Dig Bitcoin for all. NY dig Bitcoin for all. I mean, the only thing I will say is juxtaposed to down 50%. It's just weird. Right. But the only thing I will say is over the last three or four days, you've heard a lot of stories about people who couldn't get access to their accounts, who were having trouble kind of getting in and dealing with situations, too. Because, again, when something's new and it's not completely kind of up to speed for some of these huge surges and and moves one direction or the other, um, 
that, that would be concerning as somebody, if you were looking to try and sell and get out of it, um, even if you were looking to buy more. I did hear a lot of stories about that over the last three or four days. Still pretty high. So do we just assume it's here to stay, Andrew? I mean, that, you're still questioning. It, it, it's here to stay. Even if it's do at ten thousand, I think it's here to stay. Do I think it has to be? Do I think it has to be valued at thirty thousand, thirty-five thousand, forty thousand, forty? No, I don't. Hundred thousand. It could be. It could. It could be more. It could be less. I have no <laughs> oh, idea. Oh no! You're like what's his name, Henry Blodgett. I'm going out on a limb. It's worth either one dollar or a million dollars, and it can go either that about way. The limb. I, huh? I'm. I'm still. I, no, I but know that was Henry's. That was like Henry's. Cop out. That was Henry. It Henry's. sounds like a oh. cop out to say it, but the truth is. And, and Jamie Dimon, and, and I think even Warren Buffett and others have said, there's probably something to this blockchain technology thing. There is something there. Does it have to actually be Bitcoin? Does it have to be Ethereum? Does it have to be Solana? That's the part that I think nobody really knows yet. It's funny that you mentioned that also, uh, Andrew, because there, there's a piece, I think it's here, cryptocurrency doesn't amount to much. That's in the journal. And they say, okay, blockchain's relatively interesting. Got a couple of things that are, you know, it says, it's true, blockchains achieve bookkeeping without a bookkeeper and allow individuals to make transactions anonymously, but the innovation pretty much ends there. And our normal financial system is much more sophisticated than any of that. So it's funny. I mean, you're seeing articles like that written. This That's, is written by an academic I, saying there's very little inherent value to it. That's in uh, the well, these papers no, no. are There's very little inherent value to it. Let's let's. I will agree with that. There's very little inher inherent value to it. A hundred. I mean, we've talked about this. I could dig a hole in the ground. It could take energy for me to dig the hole. But if nobody wants the hole, no, the hole's worthless. That's not. That's not what people. Doesn't say matter how much energy it. I spend, no, expended or it labor it. I expended to dig my hole. That's not how they use it. They use it at, even even gold going back. It is used in jewelry. But the reason it's good is because it's immutable. It's lasting. It, 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 and, and people, it, but it just represents something. And that's all that. I, that's why they think Bitcoin is something. Not necessarily that. A lot of things that are used for currency don't really have an inherent value. Other I, than I get it, but this this rubber bracelet with my kids' names on it that I wear every single day could be could signify something and be a symbol to somebody. Never, and therefore, could that's be not worth be something if there were enough. That's of not going to be adopted by any countries. That's not even going to be adopted in your own family for being worth. Well, something. we all have them very proudly. The Sorkins have them, but it could have value. That's the point. Becky, I think, wants us to move on. She's whistling <laughs> in the wind. You remember the Staples Center? That's what I was talking about. Yeah. You know, you know who plays at the Staples Center? I mean, the Lakers, the Kings, the it's Crypto.com Arena. That's what reminds me of. Well, what, that means 2000? it's going to be that forever. It's not like Enron or anything like. Wasn't Enron a pretty good stadium for a while? I think Enron was was a pretty good stadium. So what that, was the, what was the dot com stadium out in California? There was one. There that's was, right. I, I'm forgetting which one it was. Um, so that doesn't necessarily mean anything. It doesn't mean right. anything. They're locked into these deals. I don't know if the Lakers play there. I would think that's a pretty big deal. It's here to stay. If Matt Damon, Matt Damon, Matt Damon. Okay, Matt Damon. Born. I love Born Matt Damon. Himself. You know Born that. Born himself. Next, the latest on the simmering tensions between Russia and Ukraine, and hedge funder Kyle Bass weighs in on the global challenges facing investors. If a U.S. national security or human rights policy was left up to corporate America, we'd all be speaking Chinese tomorrow. More Squawk Pod right after this. 
What's on the horizon for financial markets? At PGIM, it's a question that over 1,400 investment professionals relentlessly research in pursuit of your long-term goals. Specialized across asset classes, but united in collaboration, our teams provide global and local expertise. Our investments shape tomorrow, today. Pursue your tomorrow with PGIM, a leading global asset manager. How do you land your dream job? It starts by acing the interview. Go to cnbcmakeit.com slash courses to register now and learn exactly what hiring managers are looking for with CNBC Make It's new career-boosting online course where experts share their secrets for a dynamic resume, coming across with confidence, what to wear, and more. For a limited time, save 50% with our introductory offer. Register now at cnbcmakeit.com slash courses. And Andrew Bye. You're listening to Squawk Pod. Good morning and welcome back to Squawk Box right here on CNBC. I'm Andrew Ross Sorkin along with Becky Quick and Joe Kernan this morning. The U.S. putting thousands of troops on standby for possible deployment ahead of talks to ease tensions between Russia and Ukraine. Kayla Tausche joins us right now with more. Kayla, what's the latest? Well, Becky, the U.S. and European allies are intensifying their efforts to deter an invasion of Ukraine by Vladimir Putin, holding a 90-minute video call yesterday and bolstering defense capabilities in the region. $90 billion in weaponry from the U.S. has already landed in Kyiv, and the Pentagon says NATO requested the 8,500 troops now on heightened alert, and it's up to NATO to deploy those U.S. troops across Eastern Europe. But for our part, unilaterally, we wanted to make sure uh, that we were ready in case that call should come. And that means making sure the units that would contribute to it uh, are as ready as they can be uh, on as short of notice as, uh, as possible. The administration is also considering a wide range of economic measures as deterrence as well. The Biden administration has been evaluating possible curbs on exporting semiconductor chips to Russia, according to sources. A complicated and unprecedented move that could keep Russian consumers from getting phones, cars and computers. And CNBC has learned that U.S. officials are also negotiating with energy companies and a broad range of countries to redirect cargoes of natural gas to Europe in case of an adverse scenario that further crimps Europe's energy supply. The bulk of sanctions must be passed by Congress with bipartisan support. And last night, top senators from both parties met to continue negotiating a bill backed by Democrats and the White House. Among the top concerns for Republicans, that bill gives President Biden sole authority to trigger the sanctions package if he sees Russian escalation. Republicans worry the president will waver after a comment last week that an incursion could be minor. They want Congress to make that call, and they want some sanctions to be in place now. Becky? Kayla, depending on who you're listening to, some people will say, oh, this is not something that's going to happen before the Olympics, because if that's starting in a week and a half, um, you're not going to want this sort of level of, of, of sort of chaos on such a big um, on such a, on such display during something like the Olympics. Other people say, no, no, if they're going to do it, they'll do it sooner, because um, when it's cold on the ground, that's when Russia has the upper hand. What what's the latest you hear from that? 
Well, I think, Becky, that's definitely true. Foreign policy experts note that, yes, spring is a hard deadline for Vladimir Putin if he is going to make the decision to move further into Ukraine. And also, Winter Olympics are generally a sport where uh, Russian athletes do very well. And there's a sense that uh, President Putin would not want to distract from uh, what is happening at the Olympics. That being said, some of the commentary that we heard from the Pentagon yesterday noted that the timeline for some of these troops to potentially deploy, I mean, they could deploy within five days' notice. So that tells you that uh, that the U.S. and allies are operating on a relatively near-term timeline. There's also been some confusion about the intelligence here and whether all allies agree that a potential invasion could be imminent. There was some reporting out of France yesterday that they didn't see or agree with what they were calling alarmism out of the U.K. and the U.S. I spoke to a French official yesterday who said, no, that is not true, that they are in very close coordination and that there is extreme vigilance on the part of all allies where Ukraine is concerned. Becky. Kayla, thank you. Joining us now to talk about the implication for investors worldwide, Kyle Bass, Chief Investment Officer uh, at Heyman Capital Management. I'm just reminded of uh, Mitt Romney and Barack Obama. You know, what, I, I'm, I'm, was it China or Russia? But he was, uh, everyone sort of laughed at the time and we've sort of gone back and forth. It's one or the other, Kyle. And lately you've been certainly focused quite a bit on the risks inherent in our, our relationship with China. Has that now been supplanted in your mind by what Vladimir Putin is up to and, and how it affects us? Uh, good morning, Joe. You know, I don't, I don't think so. I think that uh, Russia, Russia is a nuclear power. Uh, as we know, uh, when the Ukrainians voted for independence, uh, you know, all the way back and call it 1991 to 94, you know, 90% of Ukrainians wanted independence from other Russia. And so uh, they, the, the problem was they had a third of Russia's nuclear weapons. And so when I think about what the key issue is here is the U.S. and the U.K., uh, and Russia, for that matter, moved in to denuclearize the Ukraine uh, back then. And, and we are responsible for their territorial integrity. Now, 2014, uh, Putin took Crimea uh, basically without a shot fired. There are a few shots fired. But um, uh, I, I, again, you know, uh, and even back then, President Obama said this will not stand. Well, it's still standing. Uh, Putin's a smart guy. Um, I don't think when you think about geopolitical force, um, Russia doesn't have the economics behind their geopolitical force. Uh, I think China is clearly uh, the largest threat to the to the rules based order in the West. And uh, but but uh, I think Russia just happens to be topical today. And, and uh, what's going to happen in the Ukraine? Maybe that is, is part of uh, the calculus for for Vladimir Putin, because it. Why is it such a shiny object for him? What does he accomplish uh, if he destabilizes Ukraine or, or even takes a piece of Ukraine? Or uh, how does that play into his global, I don't know, aspirations? Yeah, so uh, when, the, when the Soviet Union uh, dissolved into more independent states with Russia, the Belarus and, and the Baltics, uh, I think what that did is it moved Russia's border right more east uh, and and basically, I think Putin views 
the, quote, natural order of things as Russia controlling the Ukraine, Belarus and, and the Baltics. Uh, they, they have for the better part of time since the American Revolution. So I think if you listen to Putin's speeches and you see uh, and you follow his actions, I think that he believes that he's going to take he already has Belarus, right? Lukashenko's in his back pocket. So now he's going to move in either with a false flag operation or installing a pro-Russia uh, leader in, in Ukraine. Uh, and then I think he goes after the Baltics. That moves his border uh, back west and, and basically puts it right up against Poland. And that's why you see Poland being very upset. But he, neither here nor there, I think it's important to note that you look at Russia and the Nord Stream 2 gas pipeline to Germany, uh, uh, German, uh, basically Europe has ceded control of, of their power prices. I mean, uh, you look at the price per megawatt hour in Europe for power, it's almost 10 times the price of the United States because uh, Germany just turned off its last three nukes. They've stopped drilling for hydrocarbons. This policy of wanting to immediately flip to alternative energy is one that's creating major national security problems for Europe. It will create major national security problems for the United States, and, and it will create inflation around the world, which is what we're seeing today. Remember, Russia exports eight, about 8 million barrels of crude a day. They're one of the largest exporters in the world and one of the largest gas exporters in the world. Sanctions on Russia won't work like sanctions in China. Because there's no way we're going to be able to say we're looking for a coalition of the willing because there's no way Germany can go along with us, can they? Yeah, I mean, if you just look at, at in preparation for a potential kinetic conflict, the U.S. and the U.K. have been uh, ferrying an shoulder-launched anti-tank uh, weapons and, and uh, m military uh, equipment. And if you watch the flights of, of these transport planes from the U.K., Germany won't let the planes fly over their airspace. That's a big head scratcher for the, quote, European Union. Uh, so I think it's important to note that uh, uh, the Nord Stream 2 pipeline and Europe's reliance on Russia for their energy needs is going to drive a, a wedge right through NATO and, and right through the European Union itself. Does China, let's just shift gears quickly. Does China, is President Xi feeling pretty good about himself? He doesn't really get that much, that much flack. Uh, for, for what's going on. U.S. corporations still need to, to deal with China. I, I mean, you saw what happened somewhat. When Chamath Palihapitiya said that he didn't really care about the Uyghurs, if a corporation says we care about the Uyghurs but continues to act as if it, it really isn't affecting any of the way their day-to-day -day business, does, does that make that corporation more virtuous than Chamath? I mean, it, I asked that question that day. Is anyone really acting as if they care about the Uyghurs? My view on this is really simple. Um, uh, the, the entire, whether it's Chamath or LeBron James or Disney or Nike, uh, these corporations, individuals are only woke uh, or only care about uh, basic human rights uh, as long as it helps their, uh, uh, their pocketbook. Uh, to the extent that it doesn't help their pocketbook, i.e. if it disrupts their relationship with the, with the Chinese payor, uh, uh, then they shut down. And that's what, you know, Chamath owns part of an NBA team. Uh, LeBron's very woke in America, and, and he would not do anything to disrupt his relationship with China. So it's, uh, I, think, I think the wokeness uh, of many of these corporations, individuals is just faux. Uh, it's, it's whichever, uh, whichever uh, direction that these people want to go for personal gain. Hey, Kyle, um, you, I think you know my, my feelings about... Uh, <laughs> the human rights issues in China. 
However, my question to you is, I, I want to pretend for a moment that you are the leader of a, uh, and CEO of an American company doing business in China. You could be Tim Cook. You could be the CEO of Intel. You could be the CEO of Coca-Cola. Name which. And my question to you is, what would you do? Meaning, would you speak out publicly and risk your business? Would you not speak out at all? Is this simply an issue of the hypocrisy of, uh, that, that you feel that they're speaking out on voting issues in the U.S. and not on China? What, what, would, what would you, Kyle Bass, do? Well, I think you guys know me by now. I would speak out and, and I might be fired by the board uh, because I'm not maximizing shareholder value. I've said, you know, a few times in the past, you know, if if a U.S. national security or human rights policy was left up to corporate America, we'd all be speaking Chinese tomorrow. It's really important to note that these leaders of companies, uh, again, uh, are, are only there to maximize shareholder value and anything they do that's ESG driven or human rights driven is very carefully thought out. Uh, with, uh, with the goal of maximization of shareholder value uh, always in the crosshairs. So what we need is leadership. Again, if we think about national security and, and the, pre the preservation or protection of human rights, um, that needs to come from our leadership and they need to set the ground rules because Andrew, as we know, uh, ideologically, we couldn't be more fundamentally incompatible with China. Uh, and and Russia for that matter, and uh, we really we can't wait to do more business with them because we all have uh, this idea of the Chinese El Dorado, uh, the 1.4 billion Chinese that we can sell something to, or that they can make something cheaper for us. Uh, so I, it, this is going to require leadership on the political side and the legislative side. You're not you 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 can't expect to see leadership on the corporate side, Andrew, because that's not what they're charged with. Um, so uh, uh, unfortunately, that's where our country stands today. Oh, great. Political leadership. OK. Um, awesome. Uh, so, it, it, so Kyle, yesterday's sell off. There's a lot swirling, a lot swirling. The market's been selling off really uh, underneath the surface for, for longer than that. Probably a lot of it is, is the the second derivative change in what the Fed's been doing for 10 years. Uh, we, we get that. Anything with, with Russia, anything with China, what all went into yesterday? Uh, and obviously, there's been a lot of speculation in, in different pockets, all different assets. So uh, if you look at the polling of the current administration, the, 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 the largest, uh, let's say, uh, um, area of discontent uh, happens to be inflation. And so you see the Fed deciding to get very, very strong against inflation. The problem is you have this scenario where you have an arsonist turned firefighter uh, in the Fed, and they're, they're saying they're going to raise four or five times this year. They've also added the fact that they're going to start balance sheet contraction June or July. Um, if we, remember December 2018? That was the last time we had uh, rates being uh, hiked and balance sheet contraction. The market dropped 20% in a month. Uh, the market is not going to rise into a scenario where the Fed is aggressively hiking and shrinking its balance sheet. Uh, so the question is, how much how much intestinal fortitude does the Fed have to see the market drop vis-a-vis -vis their desire to squash inflation uh, to help the current political situation? And so the one thing the Fed can't control is energy. Uh, and I think the structural deficit 
of uh, CapEx spending for hydrocarbons in the U.S. is going to cause, I think um, I'm on the record saying, I think crude's going to go well over $100 on the front end. And it could actually go to numbers that people haven't put pen and paper to yet, given the structural deficit. So I think the Fed is going to, quote, fight inflation until the market drops, I don't know, 20, 30, 40%. I don't know what the number is that they're willing to accept. But the Fed's calculation is not purely economic right now, is what I'll say. All right, Kyle, thanks. Well, at least we have really nice weather. Uh, you know what I mean? So, so we have that going for us, uh, which is nice. Um, all right, uh, Kyle Bass, uh, good to have you on uh, today. Wide-ranging. We're all over the place. It's a global show. We're, we're international. So it's good to have you, Kyle. Thanks. Cheese will be next. Coming up next on Squawk Pod, a year after the GameStop short squeeze, what's changed and what hasn't? With Spencer Jacob, journalist and author of The Revolution That Wasn't. It's a little bit like one of those doomsday cults. Put your meager savings into these stocks. Don't sell whatever you do, no matter what happens. Don't believe the lies. Don't believe what you read in the Wall Street Journal. And then the squeeze doesn't happen, just like the end of the world doesn't happen. How do you land your dream job? It starts by acing the interview. Learn exactly what hiring managers are looking for with CNBC Make It's new career-boosting online course. Get the limited-time offer. Register now at cnbcmakeit.com slash courses. Welcome back to Squawk Pod. One year ago this week, the GameStop short squeeze shook Wall Street. It officially merged social media and the markets. The Reddit rebellion, you know the story by now, the little guys, the retail investors, the traders who found community on Reddit instead of Wall Street proper, stuck it to the biggest players in the markets by rallying around shares of GameStop. Together, millions of everyday investors triggered a short squeeze, driving the brick-and-mortar retailer's stock up over 400% in just a week. But more than that, they claimed a space in the market narrative. Not long after the GameStop move, those same traders, the Redditors, started to buy up shares of AMC. Another meme stock, this time shares of the movie chain, surged over 2,000%. In this market momentum, Redditors weren't simply extras, they were main characters. Alongside hedge funds and big market movers and everything they needed to claim their spot on the stage, from AMC's CEO Adam Aaron to the trading platform Robinhood, well, they all got a bit of the limelight as well. So who exactly were the Redditors sticking it to? Well, one of the big fish on Wall Street, the so-called LeBron James of short selling, is Jim Chanos. He's the founder of Kinecos Associates, nicknamed Wall Street's catastrophe capitalist. And he spoke about the Reddit rebellion just yesterday on CNBC. I do think that, that a lot of the advent of retail trading in vehicles like Robinhood or whatever that made it very easy to buy stocks or buy options um, we're going to see the flip side of that coin going forward. I think a lot of people have lost a lot of money, and that's before we even get into crypto. Um, and I, I think that is going to be, and it is very reminiscent of what I saw in 99 and 2000 with the advent of day trading and the first time we saw online brokerage. And you know, those, those investors, by and large, never came back. Here's Andrew with more on this meme stock anniversary. Joining us right now to talk more about the meme stock mania on the anniversary of uh, the GameStop mania is Spencer Jacob. He's the editor at the, the Wall Street Journal's Heard on the Street column and author of the book, The Revolution That Wasn't, GameStop, Reddit, and the Fleecing 
of small investors. And that's where I want to start, Spencer, because that second part of the headline there, the title of the book, The Fleecing uh, of, of Small Investors, is not the story that we were told a year ago. No. And the, the first part of the title is the revolution that wasn't. You know, a year ago, you had a group that thought it was getting a twofer, right? They thought that they were making a lot of money and giving Wall Street a huge black eye, that they'd turn the tables and things would never be the same. And everyone's headline said the same thing. I, I was amazed and everybody else was amazed. And it, it's a great, great story. I tell parts of it that haven't been told before. And I tell it in terms of you know going back before the story and showing how it all came together. It's a fantastic case study, as, as Jim Chanos just said, in behavioral finance, but it wasn't a revolution. And to some extent, investors always have been fleeced by Wall Street because Wall Street always winds up getting rich when you usually don't. They, they keep way too much of your money. And this generation didn't see that. Explain this to me, though. I see a lot of retail investors who have lost a lot of money uh, being, quote, uh, hodlers or holdlers, not necessarily crypto, that, that too, uh, but when it comes to AMC or GameStop or some of these stocks. And yet you go on and spend any time on Reddit or any of these places, and there is still a community that is not just holding, but telling others to buy. It's weird. So this has continued to be a story. Much to my surprise, it's a little bit like one of those, uh, those doomsday cults. And I, I don't want to insult the intelligence of the people on these boards, but they're saying that there's going to be the mother of all short squeezes, that there are phantom shorts and stuff like that, and that you're going to see and just hold on and put your, your meager savings into these stocks. Don't sell whatever you do, no matter what happens. Don't believe the lies. Don't believe what you read in the Wall Street Journal or hear from Jin Chanos on CNBC and just keep on holding. And then the squeeze doesn't happen, just like the end of the world doesn't happen to one of these cults. But people still pretty much believe. And it, it, it's kind of sad. Because I, as Jim alluded to, I think that this generation is just going to be turned off of investing. And that's going to be much more costly to them than any money they lost plowing into the meme stocks in the first place. If they don't invest, they're young people. If they don't invest over the next 40 years, that's, that's bad for them. Do you believe this has had a meaningful shift in terms of how hedge funds manage their book in terms of short, short selling at all? Meaning, has this, has this made some step back and say, maybe I don't want to get in here because there could be a social uh, media-enabled uh, mob, if you will, that's going to move against me. And do you think it's changed the way CEOs think about communicating with their shareholders? Okay, let me give you a three-part quick answer to that. One, yes, absolutely. Hedge funds are armed to the teeth now against uh, social media uprising. So they pay companies or they have people themselves who go through these boards. They have computers that can read these boards quicker than a person can read them. And they're, they're armed against this happening in the future. The second thing is that I think that this has given short sellers just generally pause. And that's that's bad for retail investors, if I can just uh, put that out there. You know, Short sellers are, are seen as this evil group, but they're the ones that find the Enrons and the Valiants. And they're the ones that make sure that prices are more approximately correct. So when short sellers really take it on the chin, it makes it a more dangerous environment for less informed retail investors to come in and buy a stock. And third, you mentioned CEOs. Adam Aaron comes to mind because he's really embraced the ape movement. And I, I see those people, unfortunately, as really cynical because they have sold hundreds of millions or, in the case of AMC, over a billion dollars of stock. The executives of AMC have cashed out of over $90 million of their own shares at the same time. So here, buy my shares. 
Um, no, I'm just selling these for tax planning purposes. Don't mind that. And they've they've kind of wrote them in, and I, and that's that's really the whole story of my book is that rich people got richer, and ordinary people thought that they were going to get rich. Of course, some did. People are going to say, "Hey, I made a lot of money on GameStop." Don't say that. But as a group, they didn't, and so it wasn't a, a positive financial experience for the bulk of these people, which is why it, it's the revolution that wasn't. Spencer, uh, the book, as you just mentioned, is called "The Revolution That Wasn't." It's a great read, and we appreciate you being here this morning. Thanks. Thanks. And that's Squawk Pod for today. Thanks for listening. Squawk Box is hosted by Joe Kernan, Becky Quick, and Andrew Ross Sorkin. Tune in weekday mornings on CNBC at 6 Eastern to get the smartest conversation, analysis, and best interviews with our guests. It's Matt Damon. Matt Damon. Matt Damon. Okay? Matt Damon. Right into your ears. Follow Squawk Pod wherever you download podcasts. We'll meet you back here tomorrow. Now we are clear. Thanks, guys. How do you land your dream job? It starts by acing the interview. Go to cnbcmakeit.com slash courses to register now and learn exactly what hiring managers are looking for with CNBC Make It's new career-boosting online course where experts share their secrets for a dynamic resume, coming across with confidence, what to wear, and more. For a limited time, save 50% with our introductory offer. Register now at cnbcmakeit.com slash courses.